Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. You know, I, uh, by the way, I pay good money for good bad dad jokes or bad, good bad granddad jokes. I, I take either degree of badness and I'm, I'm especially looking for those between the ages of eight and 12. Those, those are some, t- but occasionally I get some guys my age that do a really good job or gals. So let me, let me just uh, give you a couple of those. Uh, <laughs> I really like this. This is, this is, I laugh at myself sometimes and I'm the furthest person I know sometimes. What fish tastes the best with peanut butter? You got it. Jellyfish. Okay. What do you call for the, this is for all you basketball players. If you're not a basketball player, you may not get this one, but this is for you. What do you call a basketball player who never washes their jersey? A fragrant foul. Oh, yeah, that's good. All right, now, this, for, okay, for, for the non-athletes, the musicians, you can be both, but maybe you weren't an athlete and didn't watch basketball that much. Maybe you'll be the only one that gets this one. Did you hear about the cows that started a metal band. You know what they're called? Shredded beef. (laughs) Only the musicians get that. Or some of you young people. Okay. And how many sloths does it take to change a light bulb? Okay. You know, one of the, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. How many of you knew that today was Pentecost Sunday? How many of you have never heard of Pentecost Sunday? Or, yeah, so a lot of people have never heard of Pentecost Sunday. I don't think I'd ever heard of Pentecost Sunday when I was growing up, and if I did, I didn't pay attention. I mean, I'd heard of Christmas and I'd heard of Easter. But I'd never actually heard of Pentecost Sunday. And so Christmas is kind of, for God so loved the world, the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Easter is Jesus giving his life and raising from the dead for us. And then the third person of the Trinity is, well, I I almost, it grieves me to say it, but he's kind of the poor relations of the Trinity among a lot of Christians. In fact, there was a phrase in Acts chapter 19 where Paul ran into some believers in Ephesus. This is the the Ephesian church was birthed out of this. And he starts talking to them and they're obviously Jewish believers and they've heard about John the Baptist and the message that the Messiah is coming. But it took Paul a little bit of time to decipher. They were believing in the Messiah, but they didn't know that it was Jesus. 
And so they believed in Jesus, but he said, and here's how he deduced that they actually didn't know Jesus. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of like a lot of churches. And he said, well, then what were you baptized in? Because Paul's doing kind of a detective investigation. He's finding people who believe in Messiah, but that Messiah is coming. And they say, well, we, were, we believed in, in John's baptism. John baptized in water, but Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were and." They were baptized, and it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So, so Paul, the apostle, asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? That was one of his primary tools of investigation to find out if people knew Jesus. Isn't that an interesting comparison what do we do to find out if people know Jesus? We ask the question, do you know Jesus? And there's nothing really wrong with that question, but it's interesting that the early church had a little different diagnostic approach to finding out who really was in the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no kingdom of God on earth yet. And the opening prayer that Jesus opened with in his instruction to the early church is, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we're beginning to do is the church is beginning slowly to remove, I'm going to say something that's a little daring, You'll, I'll explain myself in a minute, but we're going to remo- we're removing the cult of Christianity that is always obsessed about going to heaven. It's a cult. It's an error. You say, "What do you mean? I'm not going to heaven? I, th- I thought that's what I got saved for." No, you didn't get saved so you could go to heaven. That's a consequence. That's not the reason or the purpose. The purpose of our experience and and encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ when we, quote, get saved or get born again or come into the kingdom of God is just the initiation. It's the beginning of an incredible journey that the Lord wants to take us on. And that message that is really the message, and and really it's, it's almost like in the last 50 years, theologians have begun to understand this, this is the whole shooting match. This is the whole purpose. The purpose has always been the same as it was in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God wants to dwell among his created image bearers. It's that simple. That's the purpose. You know, what's the purpose of you getting saved? It's so you can begin to practice resurrection right now. 
that you can begin to experience the very presence of God in your life right now. That's, that's, that's kind of, if you want a really deep theological explanation, that's what it is. Now, I want to read you some scriptures. I've got a lot more than we can cover, but that's fine. We're going to do a little Bible study. Unless I go away, this is John 16, <coughs> verse 7. Um, where did, I think I start with verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the comforter or the helper, depends on your translation, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I go to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Okay, right there is a Trinitarian verse. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the Lord Jesus himself, who is going to the Father. And that's where uh, a lot of us get really, really confused about um, God. How many of you have ever kind of scratched your head about the Trinity? You can raise your hands if you want to. I have. I was really confused about the... When I was a young believer, I was really confused about who to pray to. I mean, I'd just gotten born again. I had this encounter with Jesus, and, I, and it was like, I, you know, I was talking, and I said, I really don't understand this whole Trinity thing, because I'd been raised in the church. I'd heard the term, and I finally, you know, people are talking about the Trinity, and I'm kind of... And this is my first... Um, how would I say this? This was my first supernatural encounter after my experience meeting the Lord. And when I asked the question, all I heard was laughter. And when I say that's all I heard, I mean, I can tell you the field I was standing in on my dad's farm, praying that prayer as I'm going to feed the cattle, and I literally hear laughter, and it sounds like it's out there somewhere. But it is the laughter of God's delight in me. I can just tell you, since that day, I've never had any confusion or questions about the Trinity. He didn't speak to my cognition. He spoke to my heart. And I, I, I'm going to help give you a little picture of that. But the scripture on this day of Pentecost, this Pentecost Sunday, and by the way, this is a very scary word, this word Pentecost. This is a really scary word. You know what it means? It means 50. <laughs> That's what it means. And, and it was the day that was 50 days after the Passover when the children of Israel received the law, the Ten Commandments from God. 
Now, here's the fascinating thing. It was exactly 50 days from the day the Passover was sacrificed to the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament. But there was a change made in the book of Leviticus, and I think it's somewhere around, uh, it's in the book of Leviticus. And it talks about how you will now establish the, the day of Pentecost as seven Sabbaths after the day of Pentecost. Okay, and that's significant. Because when Jesus rose, was, on, was our Passover, guess how many days it was before the day of Pentecost? You, this is for all you math people. All right? So Jesus died on Friday. Then there was Saturday. And then there was the Sabbath. And it was 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. So on 40 days after the Sabbath of the Passover, Jesus ascends into heaven. I just love it. The reason I love it is the Lord and I have this little thing about mathematics. that he, he's, you know, he, he's the one that's the genius at math. The rest of us are dodo birds by comparison. But he does. I love those little fascinating details. The Lord is organized. You know, if you want to know who's organized, the Lord is organized. I mean, he's got the gift of organization. He can keep it all together in his brain. He doesn't need, he doesn't need a memory stick either. But, but the Lord organized it so that the day of Pentecost would literally be 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. And that 50th day was 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. And he told his disciples to go and wait until they were clothed with the power from on high. Now, it's really important that, I, that you understand this, this thing because I'm going to do a little demonstration here that there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's an interchange of terms and words that we're not going to be able to even get into today. But one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, we are given biblically the name of the Father as the Father. That's a familial relationship that we're all familiar with. We're given the name of the Son, and His name is Jesus, and we're very comfortable with that. But we're never given the name of the Holy Spirit. We only are given descriptions of who He is. And so there's... so. The first description that's ever revealed in the, New, in the Old Testament is the, is the term breath, ruach, which, by the way, in most of the cases, we refer to the Holy Spirit as a he, but in the Old Testament, sometimes the phrase ruach is feminine. I just throw that out to confuse everybody. <coughs> Then there is the term that we often hear is wind. And then the, then the Lord Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as water, a well springing up and a mighty river flowing out of our bellies. Then there's a reference to fire. Then, it, then how about this reference, the dove that descended on Jesus. So there are these descriptions that are trying to communicate to us metaphorically 
the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just focus on one of those this morning. What I've talked about a little bit is just the identity of the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about the dove just a minute here. Part of our process of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we attract the dove. Now, can I just tell you, doves and pigeons are very similar to each other? How many of you knew that? A guy's got his PhD in birds. (laughs) He knew that. He's the only one. Turtle doves are incredibly sensitive creatures. Pigeons are not. Pigeons are loud, squawky. They fight with each other. But turtle doves actually never squawk. They mate for life. They're very sensitive. They will, um, when they hear loud noises or hostility, they fly off. They're, They're very sensitive. It wouldn't, in fact, there's people out there that train pigeons to come back to you. They're called homing pigeons. You can't train, train a turtle dove to do that. You also can't train them to be pets. The Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus and never left him. One of the, I want to go to Romans 8 right now. I'm going to skip the verse, I, another verse I had, because we just don't have time today, but I want to read you something out of Romans 8, 1. I'm going to read you the first four verses here. Therefore now, there is now, I'm NIV version. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Wow. We could just spend days camped here. And I would, I would just say Romans 8, for those of you that may not be familiar, is maybe one of the most, it's. It's a, it's a chapter that could be its own book. It is so powerful. But can I just tell you that I have, and, and this is not an original with me, a lot of theologians kind of process it this way, is the Old Testament was the revelation of the one true God. In one, in one way, it's kind of the, the God of the Father, but it maybe is often misrepresented because we then have in the New Testament the revelation of God the Son who does adjustment on everybody's lens when he, particularly when he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, so that he's clarifying who the Father is. And he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
And in the scripture then tells us that in the end times, and the end times, that God's going to send the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, that's why we now talk about the eschatology or the end times theology. That's really what it means. Eschatology just means end times theology. We are living in the end times and we have been for the last 2,000 years. Which I say yippee because it means we're closer to the real end of the time. That this earth will continue to groan, which we're going to maybe get to here in this section. (coughs) But something had to happen. God made a way to take care of our sins through the flesh of Jesus Christ. Through the physical incarnated body that God occupied that he had never occupied before. Theologians call it the essence of God. I like to call it the physics of God because I've kind of got an engineering. What God did is he altered his physics to become a human. He existed from eternity to eternity. He's uncreated. And the Lord Jesus Christ occupied a body. And it says in the scripture in Mary, to Mary, how, she said, I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? And, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and overpower you. And you, the, the thing, the King James, the person that is created inside of you will be the most high God. <clears throat> this is really, really important. I want you to be, be following me here. Because this is not controversial theologically among the theologians. It's just still theologically controversial among people that have actually never experienced much of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? He's born of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus walked in to the disciples as they were huddled in the upper room after his resurrection on Sunday evening after his resurrection he walks into him and he says peace to him and then the very first thing he says is he says he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit notice that word breath it's the exact same word that in Hebrew is where God breathed on Adam. In fact, I now want to take you to the verse I was going to I, I skip. We're not going to skip it. <clears throat> verse 45 of 1 Corinthians 15. So it's written, the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. 
As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. I want you to look at it up here. I like King Je- New King James a little better. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spirit. The first man was the man of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Now, here's an interesting little twist. And a, you notice he's talking about the first man and the last man, and then he interjects something. The first, first Adam and the second Adam, then, uh, or the last Adam, excuse me, the last Adam, then he interjects something, the second man. Theologians have debated that verse, but it's really pretty simple. Jesus became the first fruits of a whole new human race. And every one of us, when we are born again, get a new genetic code that is from our Father in heaven. I'm going to stay preaching over here. Somebody said amen. Can I say that again? I don't think anybody's getting it. Do you realize, you talk about the ultimate identity, is that Jesus said, it's really important that I go away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the ultimate identity. You will no longer be orphans. You are orphans now, and you're going to be adopted into my family, and you will no longer be alone. Not only that, you will have a new identity. Not only that, you will be a new creation you will be the second fruit of the first fruit of the second man. Jesus Christ is the beginning person of a whole new progeny of human species. And every one of us have been born of the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus even as Mary received the Holy Spirit and Jesus was conceived. It's really, really important that we see that distinction. All right. The Scripture gives both a command and an invitation to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you would say that's filled? How many of you say that's filled? Oh, that's overflowing. That is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? I'd never heard of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd never heard of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what all this terminology was. (laughs) Here's what I did know. I wanted all that was God in my life. That was it. And I, you remember I told you my story that was kind of funny about the triune God? Well, a lot of us think of the triune God kind of like some of us look at this thing. We go, well, that, how many of you, how many, how many can understand this little back rubber? 
uh, it's, it's, it's a back rubber. It's not multiple back rubbers. It's a back rubber, right? But if all I see is that right there, what does it look like? Three. But it's only one. I'm using this visual because that's actually what St. Patrick did to the Irish. That's why the, the shamrock, the three-leaf shamrock, he, that's how he explained the Trinity. He says it's one, but it's three separate petals on the one leaf. The Trinity taxes human reasoning beyond our capacity. That's why theologians and a lot of pastors try to avoid the subject. And here's what I I just want to introduce this idea to you. When I heard the laugh, I got really comfortable with the mystery. When I got the laugh from the Holy Spirit, from the Father and the Son, I got comfortable with the whole idea of mystery. And the problem with so many of us and the way we're trained is that unless we understand the mystery, we won't believe in the mystery. And so we've been almost trained in our culture for that. And that's one of the reasons so many of us never get really truly filled with the Holy Spirit. And why so many of us struggle with so many of the concepts that are in the Scripture because we're, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us illumination and understanding. More than cognition that goes here, it's like I see it, I can't explain it, but I see it. And that is a much deeper, then, you know, years later, some of the things I'm sharing with you are years later when I finally can say and explain what the Lord did to a 16-year-old kid. That I com- that, how would I say it? My comprehension and understanding then is so much better than anything I'm explaining to you right now. What I'm explaining to you right now is so utterly devoid of completeness of what I understand even to this moment about our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what is so unique about that experience is I developed this incredible sense of trust of God. The God I couldn't comprehend, but the God that somehow let me have a, a scintillia, microscopic piece of understanding. And so I trusted the Son, I trusted the Father, and I trusted the Holy Spirit. And that is when, unbeknownst to me, when I prayed those prayers, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to understand, I was from a Methodist background. We were as uptight and unemotional and unspiritual as any group of... I I literally couldn't give you a reason anybody would go to that church other than (laughs) they were all farmers and had to go somewhere on Sunday morning. And they didn't drink, or at least not that anybody would know it. 
when that event happened in my life, I wasn't confused. I wasn't perplexed. I didn't know fully what happened, but I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing. The same exact thing happened to Jesus. And I can prove it to you theologically. He walks at the Jordan. He goes to the Jordan. And John the Baptist looks at him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes the sin of the world away. And then John the Baptist had been talking about, This is the one that I've been talking about. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. I baptize in water, but he's going to be the one that baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. That was a big, big deal to John. It should be a big, big deal to the church, but it hasn't been because we've treated the Holy Spirit as if he's our, is the poor relations of the Trinity. And so Jesus John the Baptist is going, this is contemporary English, dude, I'm the one that needs to get baptized, not you. And what does Jesus say? Remember? It's kind of a little mysterious, people speculate. I I like to read what people wonder about what Jesus meant. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm doing this. I must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want you to go back to this, to this verse in, in Romans 8. For what the law was powerless to do, to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. He, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements, righteousness of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. So what happened when he got, so he got baptized. A lot of us come out of Baptist backgrounds. We believe in baptism in water. We're really comfortable with that. But what happened after he was baptized? The dove descended upon him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and it remained upon him. And later we find out from John that he had the Holy Spirit without any constraints are without measure it was infinite he had access to the very power of God himself okay how many of you believe that how many of you understand and believe that when Christ died you died Some of you may not know that, but, but Romans 6 is when you, even as Christ died, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. In other words, I have been buried, I've been saved by the death of Jesus Christ. You get that? You get that? He is our representative. He is the one that made it possible 
Okay. Carlington, I want you to stand up. Carlington, I want you to look over here. I want to tell, I want to tell you something about him. He is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. He, you can sit down. That's who he is. That's who we all are. We believe that. Because all righteousness needs to be fulfilled. So what is the all righteousness that Jesus was talking about? Well, that's what Romans 8 is all about. We do not live. This, listen to this. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus had to become flesh to deal with the flesh with two laws that we learn about in Romans chapter 7. There's the Torah law, which, by the way, is perfect. And in fact, that's what we fulfill, the Torah law. God didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. In fact, that's the exact same word that Jesus used when he said to John the Baptist, he said, for we must fulfill all righteousness. It's the exact, exact same word as this word right here, fully met or fulfilled. It's the exact same word. So what the Holy Spirit, through Matthew, when he, when he uses that language in Matthew chapter 3, and here with Paul, Jesus is fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. But then there's two other laws that, that he's mentioned here. What are they? You might pay attention. This is a good way to do Bible study. Pay attention. What's the law of sin and the law of death? There's, there's two laws operating. And they operate in our flesh. <coughs> so a lot of... I remember a few weeks ago I told you that one of the great theologians out of Princeton University wrote like a 173-page systematic theology on the cross of Jesus and four pages on the resurrection. I did that on Easter Sunday because so much of the church has been focused on what Jesus fulfilled so that we will get to go to heaven, missing the whole point that Jesus has removed the power of sin and death in our lives so that we no longer going, go around constantly sinning and constantly producing death in everywhere we go. Have you ever been among a family that is just dead because their life is so dysfunctional and you see everything that's going wrong? And Jesus Christ has set us free. Now, how did he do that? See, we don't get to just be represented in his fulfillment of the law so that we're the righteousness of God, but we get to participate in his resurrection out of the water and the fulfilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There, there are a lot of Christians that believe that when you get the Holy Spirit, you get it all. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, 
it would be really convenient to say that, but why did Jesus say he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He was born of the Spirit. So why did Jesus do it? To fulfill all righteousness. I'm showing you what this new second race of humanity has to do to enter into the fullness of what is available through this advocate that is better that I'm gone away. I've got a body. I can't occupy you. But I am sending the Holy Spirit not just to redeem you and get the first part of those laws fulfilled, the law of righteousness, the Torah. I'm here to fulfill the law of victory over sin and death and to clothe you with power. The Lord Jesus clothes us for other people. He comes into us for us. He's here to fill you to overflowing. And so, um, Peter Lord is, I don't, anybody here know who Peter Lord was? He's gone to be with the Lord. Peter Lord was a Southern Baptist, one of the more famous Southern Baptist preachers back in the 1960s and 70s. He was Jamaican. and he was a pastor of Titusville Baptist Church. And Peter began to, he was a, really loved the word. He loved the scripture. And he said uh, he'd been, on a Pentecost Sunday, he'd been studying. And he said he, what he realized that is all of his fellow Baptists and so many of the pastors that he knew and so many of the theologians that he knew, he said, I was trying to do research and study on the Holy Spirit for Pentecost Sunday. And I just realized there was just a dearth of just almost nothing said about the third person of the Trinity. There were very few sermons. He talked to some of his fellow pastors. They were really uncomfortable teaching about the Holy Spirit on, you know, because, well, we don't want to be like those people over there. And he said, I was studying, meditating, and he said, I've just begun to learn to how to hear the voice of the Lord, really learn. I was having experiences with the Holy Spirit as I was meditating on the fact that he was now in me. And the Holy Spirit said to him, Peter, have you received me? And he said, well, he said, I, he said, you know, what it's like when the Lord asks you a question and you start giving, explaining theology to him. He says, that's what I did. I started explaining theology to him. He said, well, you know, I, yes, I get all of you. You come into me. I get saved. I get born again. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got all that I need. And the Lord asked him again, have you received me? And he said, it, he got asked several times and finally he quit trying to give the Lord a theological explanation. And when he did, he said the Lord asked him this question that struck him to the cord. His, uh, his mother-in-law had been living with him for several months. And the Holy Spirit asked him, have you received your mother-in-law? I mean, let me ask you guys. Uh, 
I, I want us as a church to always have received the Holy Spirit in all that he has for us. The end of Romans 8 talks about groanings too deep for words. The Spirit gives us non-cognitive groanings that only our spirit can commune with God. We've been introduced to a supernatural plane, folks. Let's not, let's not restrict the Holy Spirit in our midst, okay? We have to be a supernatural people. The Holy Spirit was poured out on your sons and daughters so that you will have dreams and visions. We'll have Liz come up here in a minute to share a little vision she had. But let's all stand up and let's, I just want to invite everyone here. If, if you have been throttling your surrender to the work and activity of the Holy Spirit in your life, I, I want to invite you to stop doing that this morning. If you would like a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, you know, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because, as Dwight L. Moody said, we leak. If you're not overflowing, maybe you are investing too much in inferior attentions. I don't know what it is, but I want you to I want you to be willing to come up and get prayer. I I I'm I'm actually gonna do that myself. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come down for here and I'll I'll get prayer. Because I want more of what the Lord has than what I, I want to be filled to overflowing so that it's running dangerously close to causing a mess. I want to cause Holy Ghost messes everywhere I go. Elders and life group leaders. Please come forward. I want Liz also up to, I've known Liz for 20 years. She has something to share. Come on up. Something she, she had a vision before, while we were worshiping. Why don't you share? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I saw this, like, um, these sunflowers and they were like flourishing but they were in a desert and I was like what? <laughs> it's not possible and um, then I heard um, like I saw their roots went really deep and there was like a water under the surface and I heard rooted and grounded in love um, and then uh, like the idea that it, that was impossible made it seem like something only God could do and then I'm um, like as the roots were going like they had to reach down like if they were to connect it was almost like they were part of like an organ 
like an organ of the body and your like roots are like part of your blood vessels or something like you're like totally connected to that so um and I remember this fear like oh no how is that gonna happen like how what if we can't reach deep enough or whatever and then I had the verse um now to him let me see I like copied it on my pictures okay um, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So I just felt like I heard um, rooted and grounded in love, and he's able, he is able to connect us and graft us in, um, and we will look like... Um, flourishing even though maybe our surroundings have suffering pain disappointment or whatever like that so that's what i feel like to share amen thank you Liz. i i really felt like that was a word from the lord for us you know he's the one that's able we, we look we we can't be spirit filled on our own he's the one that does it but we just have to get out of the way we have to take the governor off the engine. You all know what that is. <laughs> you know, rental trucks have a governor on them so that teenagers and young people can't drive it over 60 miles an hour. You, I don't care how much you push the gas down. Some of us have governors on the Holy Spirit. And you know what? He'll just fly off. He won't remain. doesn't mean he doesn't save you. It just means you, your Christian life is rather dull and boring. He's not. You, many of us need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. And on this Pentecost Sunday, don't walk out of here until you've been prayed for. In Jesus' name, amen.